for August 30th, 2010. It's the Overthinking It Podcast, episode 113, The Futility of Juggalo Regression. Welcome to the Overthinking It Podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I'm Peter Fenzel, filling in for Matt Rather, who has very important duties that he needs to exercise of a mysterious nature, perhaps funded by a secret branch of the U.S. government. Uh, Or perhaps not. I can't really tell you, because that's not what we're talking about tonight. Tonight we're talking with our panel of quality overthinkers, top-notch folks, about uh, cutting-edge topics in the exciting world of popular culture and overthinking it and paying it uh, a level of scrutiny it doesn't deserve. But I said that already. So, without further ado, we jump to our question of the week. I love being host, because I have to play a different character than I do sometimes on the podcast. It's a fun time. Uh, So, our question of the week. This was the debut weekend of Piranha 3D. I know that everybody saw it. It was a homework assignment. And uh, I hope that you enjoyed the various people being eaten by fish. So, in tribute to the release of Piranha 3D, panel... What is your favorite aquatic terror movie of all time? And we'll start with Matthew Belinky, who's joining us. A rare, a rare occasion, Mr. Belinky. We're, we're very glad to see you. And I know I'm not going to go first because I'm the host, so I don't begrudge you this opportunity to stand in front of the alphabet, uh, triumphant, as it were. So, yeah. So, how are you doing tonight? Uh, it's good to see you guys, too. Metaphorically, of course. I'm not actually looking at you. I'm staring at the wall. As not unless our chat roulette channels sync up. Fingers crossed. I'm, I'm, I'm actually doing my cosplay, so it's like you're staring at. That's creepy. Oh, Matt, you're in you're in New York City, right? I should have said I that. Am. I should mention these things. Awesome, excellence. You like it there? Is it doing okay? As Matt rather would say, the bleeding edge of America. Which edge is the bleeding one? I don't. Even I, know. I assume they both are. I assume that, like, you know, when you when you print something and it's the full bleed, it goes all the way to the. I don't know. All you printers listening. Oh, uh, that's copy. what he means. Oh, I, explain. I, I assume okay. that means that it's the edge that's going to be cut off when you actually print your proof, and which is which is much more sinister when you really think about what it means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Um, anyway, to answer your question, I'm assuming that. Uh, Jaws is sort of the great white elephant in the room, so to speak, and and we're not going to go there because it's just too easy. Um, so Jaws excluded. I'm going to go with uh, the video game Bioshock. Oh wow, nice! Yeah, which is a great. Uh, for those of you who don't know it, it's a, it's a video game. It's for the Xbox. I don't know if it's for the PS3 um, as well. And the idea is it's set in the 1960s, where you, because of a plane crash, find yourself visiting an underwater city that was built in the 1930s by a uh, reclusive industrialist who is is I think very consciously. Uh, patterned um you know off of this sort of n randian superman who believes that that you know the geniuses have to be free of government interference to pursue the the boundaries of human knowledge and of course by the time you get there you know at 30 years after its founding the place is uh overrun by genetically engineered monsters and uh you you have to shotgun your way to 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 safety uh also also holding true to the teachings of Ayn Rand for what it's worth. Yes. <laughs> exactly. I mean, for- John Galt, and how much ammunition did he bring to this level? <laughs> At least thought. I think Ayn Rand would really enjoy this video game for some reason. <laughs> uh, Are we the masters of our own future? <laughs> Awesome, excellent. All right, so let's. We've heard from Matt. I know that that's a, a terrible aquatic terror of great interactive, and it has really cool cutscenes, right? Like the FMVs are good. Yeah, I, it's I, it's very pretty, and they're all sort of um, you don't you never see your own body. You're sort of it, it's when the FMVs happen. As as is the style as as is the sort of uh, ascended style. Is your character style like really now. fat and he can't see like his feet? Is that how it works? No, I, it's sort of like you, you see your hands and oh, you, okay. you see your your gun. I forgot to mention the best thing about the game is that you can shoot bees out of your hands. I should have <laughs> made that clearer. Jaws is a great movie, but at no point does Roy Schneider shoot bees out of his hands, <laughs> except for in the special edition, of course. 
Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> and we'll talk about special editions tonight because there's a special one that we want to get special about. Yes. But first, we will jump all the way across the river to Brooklyn, New York to ask Mark Lee how he's doing tonight and what is his favorite instance of aquatic terror. <laughs> this edge is even more bleeding than all the other edges of which we have spoke. Why um, is this edge more bleeding than all other edges? Because this, this, night, this, this, uh, this bleeding edge <laughs> leans back and eats the bitter herbs. Um, anyway, this <laughs> is another podcast. That, 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 that interchange is between the two non-Jewish members of this podcast. <laughs> I was about to say that we need to leave a chair open for, for somebody special, but I'll mention him yeah, later. Yeah, but but, but if you guys had just said what you just said, then die in him, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're, we're interrupting you, Mark. Go ahead. Okay. I got two possibilities here. One, I was thinking uh, my sarcastic answer would have been um, all those twee hipsters in the life aquatic with Steve Zissou. Um, not that I've really seen that movie. Just something about the previews has really turned me off on it. And frankly, I'm really not that big of a – what's that guy? Wes Anderson? Not a big fan of, of Wes Anderson. So that ter- yeah. terrifies me in, in some way. But actually what I, what I really am going for is I am – Hoping that someone out there is working on a movie about a sea monster that arises from the Gulf of Mexico that is somehow created by all the oil that was spilt <laughs> into the Gulf. Um, either it like it seeps into a bunch of like sea creatures and they all come together in some sort of weird hive mind or, or big oil creature that rises out and wreaks havoc uh, upon you know, humanity in revenge for spoiling the Gulf as a big cautionary tale. Or um, I don't know, something else awesome involving oil and destruction. That, uh, that that takes down like uh, oh no 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 no. So the Gulf. They're gonna they're gonna it, it, okay. So it's not gonna attack uh, the United States. It's actually gonna wade over to England and then swallow them up and 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 that's how we'll get our revenge. So if someone's not on that, uh, screenwriters go for it, make that, and um, and maybe James Cameron will make it. Yeah, I'm on the task of actually making a sludge monster. If that helps. Oh, well, sweet. Are you on the <laughs> toilet? <laughs> I told you not to oh, podcast. You're on the toilet checker. <laughs> I, I thought we were podcasting. Oh, well. So, 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 Mark, if Jaws is the aquatic terror of Christmas past, and Piranha 3D is the aquatic terror of Christmas present, your favorite aquatic terror is the aquatic terror of Christmas yet to come, which involves oil monster. Or exactly. Sort. I mean, when he said when he said best aquatic terror, you know, of all time. You didn't mean all time, right? That's true. That is true. That is a popular misconception. When people think about all time, it does not mean all time to the present. It means all time because time is a four-dimensional bounded object, right? So all exactly. time exists in a single moment. That means if Hank Aaron was the best home runner at all, of all time, that means that at some point in the future, all the other home runs will be disqualified for the steroid stuff or whatever. Um, well, and it, your and, yeah. best simply means that he's accrued the most home runs. Yeah. It also means that Justin Bieber is a lot better than we all give him credit for if he's the best. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. I'm so, traveling Justin Bieber. If we take a flying leap uh, all the way into a bathroom in Cambridge, Massachusetts. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> oh, it's, bathroom. it's the only um, way to enter a bathroom in Cambridge, Massachusetts, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm proud to announce that for the first time ever, I'm talking to you from, um, or at least on the podcast, from Boston, Massachusetts. A completely Ooh. different city. It is very different. Oh, yeah. Whenever I go down there, they look at me funny. They cross I'm the other sure. side. Of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you don't, have, you don't you know the book? secret handshake. Oh, because you moved. That's right. Big deal. You yeah. moved. Oh, Indeed. Uh, well, actually, we haven't moved the apartment. I've moved the lab. And, of course, on a Sunday night at 9 p.m., I'm in lab. So, <laughs> so, so yes. <laughs> so you went to your laboratory across the river, and sometime late at night, you're going to go back across the river, perhaps tired after doing a variety of experiments. And then perhaps there'll be some sort of thing that falls in the river and creates some sort of aquatic terror that will terrorize Boston? Oh, spoiler alert. Oh, <laughs> Also, scientist, I'm on the job market. If you're looking for someone to make aquatic terror, <laughs> uh, so yes, yeah, so Dave, answer the question, man. Give, give it to wow, us. Okay, give it to okay. Us. so so my snarky answer, Ken, to Mark's Zipsisu uh, is Charybdis. Uh, Ooh, um, from uh, from from the Odyssey. Um, uh, but only because I, I, I like being the only scientist I know who knows the word Charybdis. But my actual <laughs> like. My, my favorite aquatic terror movie has got to be uh, the 1977 like blatant Jaws ripoff called Orca. Ha- has anyone seen Orca? <laughs> um, which is about like a man-eating killer whale. I mean, obviously. So it stars. Uh, hold on, Pigeon. I think it's Richard Harris in the lead role. Yeah, an incredibly. No, inebri- poor Richard Harris. Dumbledore. Yeah. 
Dumbledore basically like gets himself completely sloshed and then eaten by an orca, like sloshed non-diegetically and orca eaten diegetically. And and I love it for that and also for the fact that or for two other reasons. One being that it's rare that a movie title is also the Latin name for a species. You know, oh. there aren't a lot like Plathiolmenthes movies going around there. <laughs> and then um, I guess. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and, and also, uh, it's rare that the, like, the horrifying monster um, that everybody's fleeing from and or trying to kill is itself an endangered creature in real life. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, if there were, like, like a movie, it, like, if you just, if you edit out all of the birds and Hitchcock's the birds and replace them with, like, spotted owls, like, this is basically yeah. what <laughs> It's like, if yeah. only Richard Harris could, could live for another 20 years, this problem will solve itself. Right. <laughs> Don't worry. Eventually, it'll get killed by global warming. Exactly. If only they made a Lion King sequel, which involved uh, Simba tasting man flesh and uh, <laughs> not being able to resist its its, uh, its aroma. Oh, that makes don't, sense. Don't, don't refer to us as man flesh. Well, you don't like you don't like me talking Urukai to you, man. Come on. <laughs> Blinky, Blinky does not speak for all of us. You call me man flesh as much as you want. <laughs> we'll save that for later. That's director's cut action. We'll talk about director's cut action later when we talk about special editions and releases. Uh, I'm doing foreshadowing, people. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. By the way, anyone who wants to can steal this New Yorker cartoon. It it just came to me. Just like it's like a fortune teller with a crystal ball, and it's just like a sign above her that says spoiler alert. (laughs) Like you can have that at the New Yorker like next week. (laughs) Excellent, excellent. And then it comes to me. uh, And all you guys, at first you went a little bit off off center, and then you sort of drifted back center. My off center answer was going to be Das Boot, which is a marvelous aquatic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because uh, it's like it's great, yeah. three hours of Germans in U-boats being bombarded by depth charges and like listening to the creaking of their their fragile shell that protects them from the rushing waters of the Mediterranean and certain and inky death, um, which is a great movie and I recommend it. But I am going to have to jump to one that has a big place in my heart, uh, the the size of not one but but multiple giant alligators, which is uh, Lake Placid, which is a wonderful movie that stars Betty White. Uh, in a surprising role. I believe it has Bill Pullman in it too, although I'm not sure. I have to look up because although I am fond of this movie... What? Betty White's the alligator, isn't she? I mean, spoiler alert. <laughs> she has a lot Betty of Betty White's part is complicated. It's, it's, it's part of what makes the movie special, and I shouldn't spoil it. I've already spoiled it too much because uh, it has such, so many wonderful little bizarre little twists that, that – by the way, if you Google Lake Placid, it takes you to some nonsense place up in New York State and not to the totally awesome movie. And I don't really know why that's the case. That's <laughs> <But>, the <laughs> mistake of the algorithm there. Yeah, somebody's got to email Google and tell them that uh, that that's not going to fly in this neighborhood. Uh, in this podcast, we got to get different different stuff. But it's a very the, lighthearted the town, movie. The town has no basis to the movie, right? It was built. Oh yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> well, I believe it's about it's about. I think it takes place in Lake Placid, New York. It may or may not, but it is about like a town, a sleepy town, on like the shores of a giant lake that's terrorized by an enormous crocodile. Uh, and it does have Bill Pullman and Bridget Fonda and Oliver Platt. Which, if that doesn't spell wow. awesome to you, I don't know what does. Um, and the fact Oliver that Betty Platt kind of steals the show. He's very as as this sort of guy, uh, this rich guy who's obsessed with crocodiles, and yeah. sort of <laughs> sort of like shows up on the scene of his own accord, just because he loves crocodiles and wants to take pictures of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of bizarre. It's like it's like if you were watching like Avatar and there was this like like sort of uh, uh, like uh, what's the David Attenborough like. Um, like a crazy cat person, like enthusiast who shows up and is like, "Oh, like let's look at their native habitats." Uh, he's very, he's very rakish. It's excellent. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. And there's a lot of fun stuff that happens in this movie, so I recommend it. Some other, some honorable mentions, of course, are the greatest moment in Aquatic Terror, which is probably the big speech by uh, uh, um, Samuel L. Jackson in Deep Blue Sea, which is yes, such a wonderful, obviously. glorious. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, and of course, uh, the various potty training movies that I was forced to watch as a child, which had aquatic terror all their own. Heyo, heyo, heyo! All right, hey, folks. Okay, you were forced to watch not one but various potty training videos. As yeah, a child. how long did it take, Pete? <laughs> it took a long time. No, I, it, he look, has it's conscious memories of them, training, so. right? <laughs> no, I have four younger sisters, so I went through like potty training video season five times. Um, once for myself and then four other times where I had to watch them with my I didn't have to 
Like, I wasn't told at gunpoint, like, you need to watch everybody poops now. Like, no. <laughs> it's not like Jack Bauer situation, but, like, I'm in the live kitchen, like, hanging out. My sister's watching everybody poops. So I'm going to watch everybody poops, which is a great movie, and I highly recommend it. It te- taught me a lot about the fact that universality of the human condition. It's really, it's, it's really what it's about. It's almost like a, it's like from each according to his poop to each according to his poop. It's, it's like, <laughs> it seems like once you've heard the title, you don't need, it's like snakes on a plane. Like, once you get the title, it doesn't have any surprises in it. Oh, but, I was you know, really much thinking- like snakes on a plane, it's the manner in which everybody poops that really, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's based really- on a children's book, right? Like a very was- popular children's book. It is, in fact. Yes, it's based it's just like yeah. the Da Vinci Code. It's based on a very popular <laughs> <laughs> Assuming they intended for children based upon the writing. So, wait, 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 I, wait. I honestly, we were missing I a very important... See- go ahead, Senator. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, like, I, can't, I can't think about the title of that book slash movie without thinking of the R.E.M. song, Everybody Hurts. Yeah. Nor, can I hear that, nor can I hear that song without replacing Hurts with Poops. You're not the only one, Dave. Um, we're missing a very obvious question associated with this uh, title. What's the ghost moment in Everybody Poops? <laughs> it's after the one girl learns how to poop from the tiny clown that does the blue screen stuff that sings the songs. And she learns how to like poop herself in the toilet. And she looks outside and she sees the entire mass of humanity of the entire planet all like lined up on her lawn, stretching as far as the eye can see. And her mind is like exploded by the full scope of like the billions of lives and people that have shaped this human race. And then they all squat down and poop at the same time. It's actually quite beautiful. I think there's an Enya song that's playing. Well, <laughs> Pete, you have read my fan fiction. <laughs> you know, I was thinking that we should do a, an overthinking it commentary for a potty training video. I feel like that would be really good if we did like a, a, a like you guys what you guys did for Twilight. I feel like that would be a, a, a that'd be a hot ticket. It would sell like hotcakes, uh, like buffalo chips. It would sell like buff. Why are we going so blue? This is I, I'm you know yeah. <laughs> when the cats are, when rather is gone, right? Exactly. You know, this, now that his reign of terror has been broken, we can all talk about what we've always wanted to talk about, which we is just tell everybody, hardcore everybody. nudity. Hey, hey, speaking of human excrement. <clears throat> oh, segway. oh <laughs> we got a segue oh. and a half right there. That was awesome. <laughs> segway Hall of Fame. So speaking of human excrement, the thing that everybody that is me has wanted to have happen for the past year finally happened this weekend, which is that Avatar failed at the box office. <laughs> <laughs> that's, um, that's not what I was thinking of, but sure, let's, let's yeah, take it. Yeah, I thought we were going for the Teal Tequila thing. Oh, no, we're going to put that off for later. We're going to talk about Teal Tequila. But we addressed, oh, sorry, this in, uh, we addressed this in the, um, in the question, so I want to come out and say it, that I didn't know this was happening. Very few people knew this was happening, but apparently Avatar was re-released in a special edition this weekend, uh, and with nine minutes of never-before-seen footage, which increases the size of the movie by like a half of a percentage point. Um, but uh, yeah, but yeah, so it's like wow, you can see the whole movie again for the first time, and apparently it lost out to the Last Exorcism. So poop on that, as it were. Did anybody even know this? Was this playing in New York City? I didn't see it anywhere in Boston, but I haven't, wasn't exactly checking the marquees. So. No, I've, I've seen it. I've seen it advertised, uh, and it's supposed to have like new footage in it. And I'm sort of wondering what it could possibly be. Presumably, this information is in fact available, but I prefer to imagine what it could be. Yeah, I which mean, I like to imagine. It's just like really graphic um, uh, ponytail entwining sex scenes. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that's what it is. All in 3D. It's like, it's like oh, like- your ponytail is so blue. <laughs> <laughs> Your, your ponytail slash USB dongle, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it, what it looks like is um, it looks like the reason they did it is that since Avatar, a whole bunch of theaters that didn't have the ability to show the movie in 3D equipped themselves with 3D projection equipment because Avatar made so much money, and then they got to show wow. movies like Despicable Me and uh, Piranha 3D. And now they get to show Avatar because, hey, if you're going to show a 3D movie, you might as well show a terrible one. I mean, I'm sorry. That's not entirely fair. You might as well show the most popular one of all time. I hope that's not of all time. I hope it's not of all time. That, in fact, at some point in the future, something unseats it. But uh, so, Which actually raises the question, like, are there – of of late, have there been good 3D movies? Has there been anything that, like, is in 3D – a priori, not, you know, a a sideways or or, or a parallel release, you know, in 2D and 3D? Where you're like, wow, that's a really great movie, and I'm glad they did it in 3D. Um, or has it all been Piranha? Well, I mean, I liked, but I guess a lot of them are being released in parallel, regardless. I think Despicable Me was planned as a 3D movie, 
and then made 2D as well? Because there are scenes in it that are very 3D oriented, but I saw it in 2D. And that movie was really good. Um, but yeah, I guess like, Spy, Spy Kids 3D, was that any well, good? By all accounts, uh, How to Train Your Dragon was both a good movie and a good implementation of 3D. Mm. All right. Yeah. People I like Toy Story 3, obviously. Oh, yeah. Is that oh, yeah. I didn't yeah. watch it. Basically, you could assume that any children's animated film from here on out will be 3D. Mm. Fair enough. specifically told otherwise. And I mean, I'll, I'll come out and say something I've said before, which is that there's one genre of movie that should always be in 3D, and that is movie musicals. I, I feel like movie musicals <laughs> should always be in 3D. They sh- if you're going to have a, a moment in time where everybody in the audience has to watch a whole bunch of people dancing, then there's no reason not to make it in 3D because dancing is a three-dimensional activity. Like, dancing in two dimensions doesn't really make a lot of sense. I don't feel like it really functions nearly as well as dancing in three dimensions as, in terms of art. I mean, the motion of the female uh, female body, there I go, of the human body, male and female body. You can tell where my attention goes during these things. Mostly female. Uh, what? Nothing, nothing. Go on. Okay. Um, the motion of the female body and Channing Tatum uh, is, is something that happens in three dimensions. I, I, I was convinced of this when I saw Kiss Me Kate in 3D with you guys. Uh, I think, Matt, you were there, right? Yeah. We saw it at the Sunshine Theater in New York. And Kiss Me Kate is a really striking. From the 60s. Maybe maybe late 50s. I don't know. Uh, but it is it is really, uh, really striking in 3D. And one of these movies where, like, you know, most people nowadays probably only they're not even aware that it was originally 3D. See, th- here's the thing. This is why I'm skeptical about 3D movies is because I think of a movie sort of ultimate destination as being like a home video environment. And so the the thing is like a movie I, I actually watched My Bloody Valentine the remake on mm. DVD and it's a lot of fun but it's very obvious that like they made it for 3D and they pulled out all the sort of like there, there were so many pickaxes flying right at you in that movie right hold on Matt, no, 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 no. You, you, your choice of words with a board of on it right <laughs> Matt, your, <laughs> Matt your choice of words is interesting we say ultimate do you mean like final and last, right? Yeah, a, I mean, fi- I mean final. Right, I, I don't as think opposed, it's better as opposed video. to best, right? And so that that uh, raises a question. Then you know, when a filmmaker is making a movie, do they shoot for that ultimate, their endpoint, the sort of the longest longevity, or for the best presentation of their movie? Well, I mean, here's here's a good example. Probably one of the movies I can think of from the from the golden age of Hollywood uh, that was originally 3D but is now known as a non 3D movie is Alfred Hitchcock's Dial M for Murder. Oh, which is actually shot in 3D, and there are certain scenes that it's very odd. There's a scene with with a pair of scissors, which I won't go into more detail, but the scissors are sort of thrust right at the camera at one point, um, and it, it. But but I guess my my point is that you know. The large majority of the human race that is familiar with that movie is familiar with it from uh, the 2D. Michael Douglas remake, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I guess so. It's it's a it's. I guess I just worry that if you spend too much time and effort putting into the 3D, um, then maybe it, it doesn't. It, it's clear that something is lost when you when you can't see it in 3D anymore. And I, I suppose that we're we're on the cusp of a future. In which, you know, all TVs are 3D. It's hard to imagine now, but obviously they are already selling 3D TVs. And I'm assuming that, like, when you go to buy a TV in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, it'll just be standard. And you'll just, you know, you'll buy a pair of your, your glasses and just keep them by the side of the set and put them on whenever you want to see Avatar or Dial M for Murder. Yeah, yeah. Those are the only yeah. two movies I could think of that you'd actually bother. Yeah. I mean, 3D is funny because it's, I feel like it's something that we all said goodbye to before. Like, I, one, one movie I really enjoyed when I was a teenager was the 1993 film Matinee with John Goodman. Um, you know that movie? It's, yeah. it's, it's a, he runs like a, a sort of creature feature, like, uh, you know, smell o vision kind of movie theater where, like, you know, the, the giant ants have, like, pinchers that bite you in the butt in your seats. And, like, there's noises that come out in the theater. And, like, it's like, and it's set against the backdrop of the Cuban Missile Crisis, right? And it's like the, the urgency and the, the situation in the movie theater where there's this peril all around you is mirrored in the situation of, like, the human beings who are in this town in Florida who are really scared by the prospect that they're going to be killed by their governments and by these missiles and, and this horrible crisis. Um, and it's like a coming-of-age story and a romance against these two backdrops. But it, it's very nostalgic for this sort of sense of, like, immediacy, right? It, like, the sort of sense of horror of the Cuban Missile Crisis, which is a formative event in the lives of many of our parents' generations, you know, how they sort of experienced it, is set against this sort of bygone era of movie making, which was meant to be experiential in a way other than just viewership, 
right? And like the drive-in movie is another example. Like that there was a participatory element to being at the movies um, that 3D was part of, and then it went away because it be, because movies had to be transferable from medium to medium. And now it's like, oh, 3D well, is the new big thing. Actually, it's yeah. interesting you say that because you know another thing that was special about um, you know filmmaking in the 50s is that the, the culture in general around them, much like it is now, had this. Like, basic drive for you know the advancement of technology simply for advancement's sake right like mm. 3d was an obvious next step you know along with the proliferation of color you know this is this is what the older version of it lacked and something that we can add to it to enhance the experience even if we're not coming up with good ideas of of things to do within this milieu or of um of ways to really implement it in a portable way like it's a new thing and we're gonna we're gonna throw it out there because it's new and we have to always move forward Right? right, like right. you know, what everybody wants is to take food and, and flash freeze it and serve it in in plastic individual trays that you can nuke in a microwave rather than like cook it around together. It's, it's progress for the sake of progress. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, interesting, interesting. You know, which which and, you know, there's that vibe in the '50s and it sort of calms down when people get more socially conscious in the '60s and you know dies off a little bit. And then it's I, I it's really see it resurging. I, I, maybe more so in the beginning of this past decade than it is now, but like, there's definitely this this beautiful parallel there. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, th- I think movies almost, you know, since let's say since the early 1950s have been in this existential crisis. Uh, you know, competing against TV. And the idea is that why go to the movies when you own a TV and TV is free after you buy it? You know, you can, you can sit home and, and be entertained 24 hours a day. Why are the movies better? And it used to be, well, the movies are wider. You know, if you go back to like the 1950s and 60s, they made them uh, all different aspect ratios. Ben Hur is ridiculously, ridiculously wide. Um, you know, then maybe it's, oh, uh, they tried 3D, they tried smell vision they, they, they did, um, all sorts of, um, I mean, basically, like you know, they they tried all sorts of gimmicks, and um, and I, I think I think you're sort of seeing that come back with a vengeance nowadays because there's been this sort of leap in home theater technology with high definition and Blu-ray and all that, and I think people more and more, and I'm one of them, are feeling like, wow, watching a movie at home is a lot more pleasurable than it used to be when you had like a, a 24-inch TV set. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so that, uh, movies need to offer something that you can't get at home. And so you say to yourself, oh, well, I have to go see this new saw in the movie theaters because it's 3D. And, and so I can't just wait till DVD because I'll be missing something. And I definitely think that's the way people felt with Avatar that not only is it 3D, but like, oh, we need to go see it in IMAX because you can't, you know, watch it in IMAX in your own TV. So. I mean, but beyond 3D and beyond sort of pushing 3D and IMAX, I'm not really sure what else movies can do to, uh, you know, uh, distinguish themselves as something which cannot be replicated, you know, in in the home without without watching a bunch of commercials and paying $22 for popcorn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in Japan, I think it's common to, that they give you some sort of swag, right, that's related to the movie. Uh, or at least I was told this once that um, – that you go to see Chicago and you get a pair of fishnet stockings, right? And like it's sort of like a special gift that connects you to the movie. I mean, when I saw Ghost World, I got a copy of the comic book uh, when it was very early on in the production. But I don't think that it's really caught on in America. This sort of like, I mean, the, the, in America they they relied on tentpole like marketing for a long time too. And like in addition to these things, this idea that you need to see the movie because the movie itself is an event that you need to participate in, you be part of, uh, and that's that sort of towering inferno way of looking at it that this is like a huge deal and that you want to be part of the huge deal and you don't want to be late but the other thing and is that wanna, as and you want to participate in the alternate reality game that's associated with it right <laughs> well that yeah the ai did you play that were you guys uh what was it cloud cloud makers were you guys cloud oh, there, makers? There, have been, there have been like like a thousand of them but the oh i know was the, the was it the philip haas was right that the one that was uh, that sprouted up around cloverfield was the only one that i ever tried to be part of. and yeah. then i never saw the movie that one was really frustrating because, like, that one just didn't really go anywhere. Uh, I didn't really yeah. like the Cloverfield one at all. I, I didn't like the hype around Cloverfield at all uh, just because they, they, they started really early and then it just dropped off and there just wasn't any more hype. And it became obvious that the reason there wasn't any more hype is that there was no secret. Like, there was nothing special. It was just, like, a J.J. Yeah. Abrams thing. And they were just like, oh, by the way, like, there's nothing. It's like J.J. Abrams is the anti-Shyamalan. Like, there is no twist. Like, <laughs> oh, no, we're in a village. And it's a village. 
<laughs> you know, like, oops, <laughs> movie's over. And like, uh, I mean, I know people who watch Lost will probably disagree with me, but like, that was that's the feeling I get. And it's not just him. I think it's a whole milieu that also involves stuff like Battlestar Galactica, where they like, and even you know, The Sopranos, where like you build this serialized narrative, um, you build this extended, lengthy story that's meant to be consumed in more than one sitting, and the whole thing is built around its own continuation, such that when you actually call upon its end, it just has nothing. It's just an onion, and there, and you cut out the inside, um, you cut the inside layer, and there's nothing in the middle. Um, so, speaking about uh, people getting cut. <laughs> oh, here we go. Is this is this finally the segue? <laughs> we could probably do better than that. Before we before we leave this though, I just want to say that it occurred to me like while we're having this conversation that the um, the movie tie-in, like the uh, you know the Star Wars is being re-released, so get your Star Wars mugs at McDonald's is is probably the great grandfather of the alternate reality game, right? It's like you have yeah. to collect them all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have yeah to get there's all definitely these plastic toys and Happy Meals. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Okay, like it reminds, I was thinking, on. they never did like a Monopoly game with a movie, right? It's not like Avatar Monopoly at McDonald's where you have to collect all the Avatar <gasps> pieces. Oh, Dick Tracy. They did that with Dick Tracy. Remember when Dick they Tracy, did that? Yeah. I think they did it with Spider-Man too, right? Mm, where Spider-Man it was like a contest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spider-Man 2. No, not with Spider-Man 2. Not <laughs> in like addition. Dick, Dick Tracy had all the random gangsters with their, their weird deformities. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. And like in the Dick Tracy world, it's always very clear who's going to grow up to become a gangster, right? <laughs> right, that's true. That's but, but like, if you're born and like your hands are eight times as big as normal hands, they should really just put you on a watch list right there. Speaking about <laughs> like, people who should just be put on a watch list. <laughs> Is that a better one? No, that's not a better one. Uh, Mark has been helpfully providing aspect ratios of classic movies on the back channel while we've been talking. It's very nice. It is very important. So we now learned that Lawrence of Arabia had an aspect ratio of 2.2 to 1. Ben-Hur had an aspect ratio of 2.76 to 1. What's normal aspect ratio, Matt? Uh, I mean, like, Lord of the Rings or your sort of big, dramatic Hollywood movies nowadays generally are 2.35 to 1. And, of course, uh, like a 16 by 9 television set is something like 1.85 to 1. Mm-hmm. 1.78 to 1. 1.78, sorry about that. Well, it's so, 1.7 repeating, right? <laughs> oh, God. Well, actually. <laughs> so Schechner has helpfully pointed out that the Canadian sci-fi thriller Cube has an aspect ratio of 1 to 1 to 1. one. To one. And I will add that Cube 2 Hypercube has a ratio of oh, 1, to one. One, to 1 to 1 to 1. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, so, Cube. What I wanted to talk about before, the, the segue that I really liked was when you were talking about, like, the inexorable march of progress. And, like, speaking about progress and human beings and in, in <laughs> reaching ever forward into our bright and shiny future of flying cars and awesomeness. Um, I'm so on the march. <laughs> exactly. I wanted to talk a little bit about this this rather troubling event that's been in the news, and I hope that you guys will come along on this journey with me because I think that it's an interesting and exciting topic. Um, as you very well may know, or perhaps you don't, uh, the annual gathering of the Juggalos has been happening in Cave and Rock, Illinois. I think it's over now. Um, I might be wrong, but uh, which is in southern Illinois, kind of in the boonies. And this is the big music festival for the insane clown posse and all the psychopathic records folks. And uh, it's all the hardcore rock with the hardcore rap with the, with the yelling and the violence and the soda pop that gets thrown all over the place and all this other stuff. And everybody gets the face painted and there's lots of like, you know, boob flashing and drugs and craziness and all this stuff in this, in this crazy uh, kind of, and like, and helicopter rides and Ferris wheels and like carnival <laughs> games. Funnel cake? Do they have funnel cake? And I bet you they have lots and lots and lots of funnel cake. <laughs> um, so it's this, so, so this thing has been happening and as you guys know I've been writing a fair amount about um, the, kind of the, the existence of juggalos sort of trying to genericize the term talk about having a group of partisans basically people who are extremely devoted to you and your brand or whatever your value proposition is such that they can say things that you can't say they can do things that you can't do right and so they, they sort of take on an extra dimension of marketing and bringing your product to market whether your product is music or the experience of music I mean however you want to redefine what a band produces right uh, and this can extend to politics and all these other avenues. So there was an event that happened at the Gathering of the Juggalos that I find to be, it's unfortunate, but it's really interesting for a variety of reasons. And this is that they, for some reason, which just totally escapes me, they took 
these tens of thousands or whatever, uh, although I think the attendance was a little light this year for specifically this reason, of these like people who are generally have reputations for being outcasts and hating popular people and like people who make them feel like they're not like in the in crowd or people who are attention getters or pretty people like they took all these outcasts who hate all those people and they decided that the person that they really needed to see perform music was Tila Tequila who is like the just the <laughs> pinnacle of everything that the insane clown posse doesn't stand for um, because she's a sort of a self-made celebrity who puts celebrity above all else who was the most popular person on MySpace right other than Tom himself is that what we were saying beforehand um, yeah, I think that's yeah. that's either how she became famous or she was near the top and that's you know catapulted her to the top. And that's what she well, she became I mean, famous on MySpace, MySpace for posting uh, scantily clad photos of herself, and then people would friend her, and then her following just sort of grew from there, right? Yeah, I think that that's how it worked. Yeah. And so you have somebody who, like, you know, <laughs> deprecated like- herself and, like, and like sort of, you know, not prostitute herself, that's not fair to say, but, like, I'm trying to think of a good word for it. Um, but sort of, like, put herself out there just to be popular. That's all she wanted, is just to be popular, which is, the like, something that enrages the people who are involved in the insane clown posse, because they have these a whole different value system. Um, and, uh, and, of course, like, in this situation, it might be a little bit scary. So she apparently raps now, and by all reports, it's terrible, but I can't speak for myself about whether that's good or not. And she came out, and she went to do a show. And uh, everybody had been talking, according to various first-hand reports that you can read on the internet. You Google first-hand uh, Juggalo, Tila Tequila, you see what happens. Um, she comes out to sing, and people just start throwing stuff at her. Um, and and this is not the first time it's happened. There have been other instances where people go out there. I mean, at these shows, the bands throw stuff at the audience, and the audience throws stuff at the bands. So throwing of stuff is fairly common. It's part of the show. But throwing of, like, rocks and, like, human feces, not as common. Uh, firecrackers, not as common. Um, so while trying yeah, to take that's shelter... That's more for when Guar comes out, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, th- these guys would probably think Guar is a little bit too soft and silly for their tastes. And, I mean, they, they threw <laughs> bottles of human women at Andrew W.K. for being, like, not hardcore enough. So, like, wow. I mean, this is, like, last year, I think, or at a different show. Did he, was he not what? telling them about how he likes to party? I, I think that, that that's not what they're interested in. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, I'm talking, I'm monologuing a lot because I want to make sure everybody knows what happened. But Tila Tequila was fairly badly hurt. She got a lot of bunches of scrapes and bruises and cuts. Um, and she had to flee. She had to stop her show. After, like, people yelled at her to take her top off. She took her top off and they threw more stuff at her. And then she had to flee the show, flee to her trailer where hundreds of people tried to tip the trailer over, smash the windows, smashed up her car. She had to, she escaped the trailer. She escapes the car, goes to the hospital. She's very upset, trying to threaten to sue. Um, and I think that this brings up a lot of issues. Uh, I mean, does anybody have any basic reactions to it first? Because I've talked for a long, a long while now. Um, but uh, does this, I mean, I feel like this is something that provokes a lot of reactions, and I'm interested in what people think about it. I just want to add that I was reading a news story about this while you were talking, and apparently the same thing happened to Method Man uh, during, oh. this, during this gathering of, of jugglers that he was hit with a flying can of beer, uh, which uh, struck him in the face. And he actually continued to perform even though he was bleeding. So, wow. If there was any doubt, uh, Method Man is in fact tougher than Tila Tequila. <laughs> and that night, Method Man, became, Method Man became Red Man that very evening. Well, <laughs> my, my, my first reaction to this is, was, if a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, does it make a sound? Um, not to say that this was not big news, but this is uh, wow. these are two sort of very particular subcultures of sorts coming to a head here, right? Or C-list sort of celebrity world forces coming together. Tila Tequila. I'm sure granted she had her own reality show, but um, you know, not quite up on the on the on the mainstream uh, of culture in the way that someone like, I don't know, Justin Bieber is. And then the Juggalos, who are the very definition of outsiders, right? Yeah. We have these two things. They're 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 outsiders. Uh, is it safe to say are they um what's the word? Um and, the, and what they'll be using the hegemonic discourse. Are they subaltern? Perhaps? Uh, well, they consider themselves to be, but then once you consider yourself, you can't consider yourself to be subaltern. Like it doesn't really work that way. So there's a lot of people oh, who have like persecution true. mythologies and think that oh, I'm the person that everybody shits on. I'm sorry, poops on. I'm the person everybody poops on. I'm the person everybody hates. I'm the person everybody beats up on. I'm the, the suffering right? person. And then yeah, and so like that, that's I mean it's the juggalos. It's I mean I'm Irish. We say that it's about the tea party. Too. Yep. It, there's a lot of people who say that about themselves. Um, so, so my point, point, my larger point about this, basically, it was like, 
So how, like, you know, this this incident that we see here, is it something that we, we I, I think it's our job, right, to not just to relegate this to some small insignificant corner of niche culture. We're saying that this has a broader significance, right, to uh, how we talk about uh, pop culture and how our society as a whole, and granted it's not a monolithic society singular singular society but still you know are how this this incident does affect how we as a whole um you know perceive our entertainers and entertainment is that kind of what we're going on here i mean i i think that the angle that i was looking at one of the angles that really i was reacting to is a lot of the talk i heard around it involved this idea that that this involves violence against women and the degradation of women and that that this is a large group of men who are like very hyped up and and very aggressive and this sort of like there's a relationship, and, and this is the relationship which I think it's very complicated between like degradation, like sexual degradation and violence, right? So, so you have Tila Tequila who makes a career out of sexually degrading herself. Like, I mean, that's and whether you think that deg- that degradation in this case, that's a very normative word. Like, what she is doing is degradation. If but you can strip out the normative sense of it if you want, so that doesn't have a purpose. Like, it's not good or bad, but like it is sort of like. You know, debasing, but it's hard to even find a word that's not negative about what she does. She sort of like breaks down the um, well, yeah, ideas of part would be proper or appropriate for somebody to do in her situation, and then uh, uses people's libidos to like draw eyeballs, and then uses that to like leverage uh, attention. Right? Yeah. Like, I mean, you it, could say you could say that it's, she exploits it's her power. sexuality. Yeah, but even even the word exploits has a negative thing that she shouldn't be doing it, and like I don't even necessarily want to say that. I mean, she uses her sexuality um, to you know for her own to her own ends, and you know you can make judgments about whether it's right that she'd be doing that or not. But I mean, honestly, the, the the idea that like there's something special about this because it's a woman and a bunch of men attacking her is maybe undercut a little by what happened to Method Man and what happened to Andrew WK. So like clearly they don't they don't just hate women. They kind of hate anybody who doesn't play by their script. Yeah, my, yeah. yeah it, it's not sexism; it's tribalism, right? Yeah. I mean, this is you know, you represent the other cult. That's that's not what our cult digs. So, and I'm not. Yeah, it's cult carries a weight to it as well. But you, you get what I'm saying. I mean, it's interesting because on one hand, also the throwing of things is part of the vocabulary of that performance space, right? So that people are constantly it's, throwing it's, things it's, at each uh, other. It's like the country bar in Blues Brothers. It is, or in like in Roadhouse when they throw in the balls <laughs> yeah. at the at the screen. So like this is something that is acceptable for them to do, but not on this particular level. But it's part of, I guess, the way that they or talk with to those each particular other. body fluids. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one thing I'll note is that a lot of the coverage that I saw when this first happened, the stuff that I got through through Twitter, I don't think it's. I mean, it's on CNN.com, but I haven't really seen it breaking through and getting real mainstream traction, but it's picked up a lot of steam on the on the blogosphere, uh, which is a silly word. It, it does connect a lot with the violence against women and doesn't connect with the, like, Method Man, Andrew W.K. stories as much. Like, that doesn't really get told in the same mouthful. Uh, you know, I, I feel like that the news the news uh, media does latch onto this idea, this narrative of this, like, woman who is being chased by this horde of, of like, lonely clown-faced folks. Which is, of course, as we know, a growing not really what hole, a growing horde of lonely clown-faced folks. Yeah, well, I mean, they're shrinking now because they freaking booked Tila Tequila for their big concert when they shouldn't have. But uh, <laughs> this was like much lower attendance than last year. They booked right. Naughty by Nature and Vanilla Ice. I mean, I'm Vanilla just thinking. Ice, I'm just thinking of the clever line graph that you made with the line, oh, with the juggalos increasing and, and album sales decreasing. Yeah, I mean, that just goes to show how silly regressions are because that number <laughs> went way down this year. And it doesn't go up forever. Like, oh, no, look, look at the trend. It's going to keep going. We're going in this direction. It's gonna, if this growth keeps going at this rate, it won't. That's, that's, and ever anybody starts saying, if this growth continues at this rate, unless they are like – unless and Schechner is laughing, but I, think, I feel like biologists are the only people who can say this. right? It's like, well, if this bacterium keeps uh, like, uh, multiplying at this rate – then it will have X number of bacteria and Y quantity of time. But when people start applying that to social <laughs> but when people start applying these these biological concepts to social phenomena, I feel like you have to interrupt them and be like, it won't. You know, all, all sorts of things like you know, continually double or continually have, like you know, uh, radioactive decay will yeah. you know have itself at the same rate, you know, for the yeah, rest of time. Yeah. So, Definitely. But yeah. 
but they're natural phenomena, and I don't think that social phenomena necessarily operate by the same rules as natural phenomena. It's like the sin of of analogy, right? It's like yeah, and pretty much the only things that do that are bacteria, and I believe property values. Real estate values continually go without <laughs> dropping. Right. No, real estate values always go up, and they never go down. Haven't you learned this? Franklin no, Mintplates. Franklin Mintplates. What? <laughs> no, I was just going to say, the, the lesson that everybody... Guaranteed okay. go up in value. <laughs> oh, Matt, Matt, were you about to say the same thing? No, no, no. I was, I was just going to uh, point out that the, the, the lesson that everybody poops also applies to the bacteria, and that's why they don't keep expanding... Indefinitely. Yeah. <laughs> and eventually they, they choke on their own waste products, which brings us back to the gathering of the juggalos, which apparently involved a lot of them. <laughs> Everybody poops yeah. sometimes. But okay, so so there's a couple of different uh, analysis uh, analyses that I've read. What? Oh, the, this, this, and it's really not pertinent to a lot of the deeper introspection, so I just want to throw it out there because there are sort of eerie parallels. But in 1967, uh, there was a concert tour thrown together of, uh, I guess, like the managers were like, who are the largest grossing rock and roll acts of the day? Let's get them in the same arena <laughs> and, and have people watch. And uh, as it turns out, the biggest grossing acts of the day were the Jimi Hendrix Experience and the Monkees. Yay! Yes, yes, <laughs> I remember this. And, and so, like, for three nights... Don't, don't uh, you weren't alive yet, Mark. What are you talking about? <laughs> Mark, Mark knows rock and roll through all time. That's it's true, that's um, true. All-time rock and roll, fair enough. All-time, all-time. Yeah. And so, like, no, I don't think there was ever, like, instant violence, but, like, most of the Monkey fans were people that would need to be accompanied by their parents to go see a concert. <laughs> and it was them, like, like right next to, uh, like, free love and hippies just tripping out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so I was kind of hoping that was the way this was going. This story was going to end, but alas, no. Yeah, no, 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 no such luck. I mean, I, I think that because there is definitely something to be said for the. I mean, because I feel like when it comes out that okay, Tiva Tequila was beaten up, my gut reaction is like the Juggalos have been impugned. Like the Juggalos are now like like tainted with this specter of violence against women, and uh, they are not to be considered. Their moral standing has completely collapsed. Um, and then their, their and moral standing has completely collapsed. Well, yeah, I feel like they were building up a bit of a reputation with the magnets thing. Everybody loved the magnets. How did they work stuff? I just like, wasn't aware that they had stand. that they had what? been building up a uh, a stockpile of moral standing. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, I social joke about capitalism. I don't know. I mean, so I guess I mean I felt like that. Um, there's a lot of, of need for defensiveness around issues like this because I feel like oh, wait, there are certain. This, what? The fact that they built up all that social capital doesn't that basically mean that they were becoming more mainstream? And then by by having this event happen and having them uh, become able to be ostracized by the mainstream again, hasn't them placed them back in the subaltern place that they they lavish so much? Yeah, I is mean, this you know, exactly this, what they want. This is pretty much like Grizzly Man, I guess. Which is like, oh, look at how hey, nice the bears are. <laughs> you know, like, oh man, <laughs> these bears are so majestic. <laughs> like, oh boy, like, let's really get to know these bears. And then, oh crap, I guess bears eat you. <laughs> like, maybe maybe um, there's something to be said by the fact, I think there, there are these two Saturday Night Live parodies yeah. of, um, of Insane Clad Posse uh, related uh, media. The, the one that was a parody of the commercial for the Gathering of the Juggalos, and then the one that was a parody of the Miracles music video. And I think just the fact that that can be made implies that the Insane Clown Posse is something which is known enough and sort of acceptable enough to sort of josh about. Yeah. And and I feel like because of something like this, maybe it does sort of push it back down in a place like these guys, we don't even really want to joke about them. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's, yeah. I might be wrong. I might Saturday Night Live might, might come out in their season premiere with an all juggalo mocking uh, for all I know, Violent J is hosting Saturday Night Live. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Violent J uh, tried to stop this from happening. Like, Violent J and Shaggy Too Dope knew that this was probably going to happen. And so they gave a speech, and I read about this, prior to the event, where Shaggy Too Dope went out there and was like, hey, everybody, just want to let you know that no matter who goes out there, when they get up there on that stage, like, they're part of our family, they should be treated like part of the family. And uh, that's even the if you stupidest don't like- thing you could possibly... You have this- <laughs> the Juggalos are like eight-year-olds. I know it's productive, but it's like you don't want to get up with a bunch of kids. It's like whatever you do, don't shoot spitballs at the principal as soon as he comes out. 
<laughs> now, I don't want to bash them that much because we do have some among our readership, and I, and I don't want to be totally mean to them because I feel like this is what happens. Like these sorts of events create the – like bring us back to these previous narratives of this situation when really the reality is somewhere in the middle, right? Like, like there's some people who do this. There's some people who do that. It's very multideterministic. So I, I mean again, and I've, we've been saying some mean things, but at the same time, I'm sure a lot of juggalos don't feel very good about what happened at the show, but I'm sure they also kind of resent being put in this situation. But I know what you mean. I definitely know what you mean. And then Violent J came out after Shaggy Dope and said something to the effect of like, like um, I'm trying to have sex with her, so none of you better screw that up by, by pissing her off or hurting her. Although he did not say her. Uh, he used an expletive. And he did not say uh, have sex with her. He used an expletive. Um, which is also, I think, I think that there's a case to be made that there's something endemic there that's like built in that, that is sort of encouraging this culture of violence against women. But at the same time, like, I, I mean, I guess it's like to have this conversation, you also have to sort of start at that assumption and then work away from it because there's so many other confounding factors that were responsible for what happened. Um, you don't want to diminish it, but at the same time, you don't want to move towards it because it reduces the scope of what we're talking about, right? Like, as soon as we start saying, oh, it's very sexist, you either have to agree with it or disagree with it because I feel like it reduces the scope of the argument. You can't really start talking about things. Let me, let me ask about, about this then. Um, how, about, how about violence, right? Like, like these are people who became violent. Right now, granted, this is in a performance space where a lot of people are masked, and this is a kind of situation where things are, tend to be transformative. When people are, are involved in performances, they do things that they don't do in real life, thus carnival and things like that. But right. um, do you think that this means that these are violent people, or do you think that this means that violence is something that happens more frequently than we might want to believe? Like, like if you thought if you had a friend who was a juggalo, and then you heard that they like they personally were involved in this incident and like broke Tila Tequila's car window and like threw a rock at her face. Um, like how would that make you think about the association with this person or the association with the group? Like how does that affect what you think about people and violence? I, I mean, well, I, I, think, I think that, okay. You want, you want to go check? Uh, you go ahead. Go first. I've talked a lot. I, I, to, to me, it seems I'm imagining what it would be like to attend this event. And it seems to me that maybe everyone there is Playing, I don't want to say playing a role, but sort of like playing up certain aspects of their personality. When you go there, you are not like, you know, like, you know, Jay Friedman from like Idaho. You are a juggalo. And, yeah. and you go and you, you try to be the platonic ideal of a juggalo and you try to fit in and, and show the other juggalos that you are one of them. And this whole concept of family is very critical. And it's not, it's not the, it, and it's not the kind of family that maybe we think about where this family will accept you, whoever you are, no matter what you do. It's, it's sort of the idea that like you're part of this family if you act in a certain way. Um, hmm. I mean, I, I might look. I, I don't understand nearly as much about the juggalos as you do, Pete. Certainly no. not as much as actual juggalos do. But I'm sort of like, based on what I've heard about this event, it seems that that when you go to the gathering of the juggalos, you're not just gathering to take in some music and some funnel cake. You're gathering to play the role of like a very dominant, aggressive, tough guy. You know, I, you know, you know what I mean? And so you get into this feedback loop where when somebody partakes in an act of aggression, maybe the other people in the crowd feel the need to meet that and maybe even one-up it because that's what being a juggalo is, is sort of like not backing down from acts of aggression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was gonna, uh, you know, I was basically going to say uh, a lot of the same stuff, although not as eloquently, but just that the, the concept of like whether or not someone is a, quote, violent person, especially when put in the context of sort of a larger group mentality. I mean, you know, psychology has is, is shown time and again that like, you know, a, a, a placid person, a violent person are terms that are really non-descriptive. You can, in the Milgram experiments, for instance, you prove that you can pretty much coax almost anyone you want to into performing, you know, horrifying acts of violence on fellow humans based upon the context in which you present them, right? And so the question then becomes like, you know, so if you want to say, right, these are people who in, in a large group, when such as condoned, are capable of performing horrific acts of violence, um, then you'd have to say, well, the, the only way that you could then judge are, these are violent people um, is merely by the fact that they wanted to associate with that group, which I wouldn't agree with either. Right? That wanting to be a juggalo doesn't mean that you want to beat up on women or beat up, you know, physically beat up on anyone in particular. But it also means you want to be accepted, which means that, that maybe right? 
Yeah, that is ironic. Like, which means that you maybe wanna, you want to be part of the group, you know, which issues being parts of things. So you go to the gathering of the juggalos. If some of the juggalos starts, uh, you know, moving in a certain direction, you know, there, there's I, – I, I guess it's just sort of an event with a, a built-in herd mentality because it's a celebration of being part of a herd. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I mean, I, yeah. Really, mathematics here. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's great that we that we're that we're talking about this. It's funny because, like, in, in talking with you guys, of course, it's like, well, we're all kind of like minded about this. We don't have like the crazy person telling us that we're wrong, um, because I don't think that we are, and I think that you guys are hitting the nail on the head. Although, of course, the way that jugglers would talk about themselves being aggressive is probably a little bit different, but it's a level of complexity we don't need to go into right now. But the thing that that I was definitely thinking about is. Um, yeah, like like the barrier between violence and nonviolence as a person's reaction to things is like fairly trivial, and and people are much more capable of violence than we generally give them credit for. I think that the yeah. situation in Iraq like speaks to this, speaks volumes to this. Like people could be violent, like they could greet us as liberators, they could not. Like people could like be chill and like go home and watch TV, or like they could get a bunch of RPGs and blow our helicopters up. Like it, the people could do either thing. People are very dangerous, and I think that that human beings are tremendously intelligent, uh, smart, devious, deadly creatures, and we should pay a fair amount of respect and, and caution in dealing with them. Um, that said, like, I think that um, a lot of people are in denial, or there's a, there's a tendency to become in denial about this, what I think is a truth about humanity, that, oh, if a certain person becomes violent, you sort of think of them as less than a person who is not violent, um, to the point that you don't actually have to think about them seriously or think about their complaints seriously. So, so this well, is. I think that's what our right entire uh, criminal justice system is founded on that supposition, right? Yeah, oh, that like if, if somebody does something against the law that makes them less of a person, they should go to jail. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, so the other question here is, well, what the, if 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 you know if war is politics by other means, right? Which is the big Clausewitz uh, quote about about war, like nations. Uh, endeavor upon wars with each other because they have goals they're trying to accomplish. The difference between doing it through war and doing it through diplomacy is somewhat trivial. Um, it, then what is it that the jugglers are doing when they're throwing trash and bottles and uh, and rocks at Tila Tequila? Like, what is this really strong hatred that they seem to have that this represents? And, and I think that... Um, I don't think it's against women. I, I don't think it's primarily against women um, after reading about these other things. Um, and I don't think it's quite on the same level of what happened to Method Man or NGWK either. But I do think that um, that that when we have these celebrities – because Tila Tequila and the marketing around Tila Tequila has done a lot to dehumanize her. Right, she's a fictional character. She's not like Tila Tequila is hyper real. Like she is not a real person in the way that any of us conceive of her. Like, not met her, never talked to her, don't have any idea what she really thinks about anything. Um, she's this symbol, but she's a little bit more complex than a symbol. So, is it really violence against a human being to commit violence against Tila Tequila? Right. So sort of like you have to think of an animal as less than a person in order to eat it. In order to throw a rock at Tila Tequila, you have to think of her as like a representation of, of what a person might be rather than as a person. It's, 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 it's the old you can't kill a hooker because they're already dead inside argument. Yeah. And it's also the founding of a lot of anti, out of like anti-Semitic <laughs> violence, right? It's like Jews aren't really people. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, any uh, any ethnocentric, so you know, argument is something like that, right? Well, yeah, Pete, anything ethnocentric. Yeah. Let me let me let me take that uh, just one step further. That that maybe we can think of what's going on now is what happens when the internet starts to spill into real life. That Teal Tequila is, is this internet phenomenon. Somebody that that became famous through the web. Most people probably know through the web, and I think. And St. Clown Bossy and the Juggalos probably do a lot of their organizing and community building through the internet. But, but more than that, if you think about um, regular people who suddenly become very aggressive and nasty and are empowered to be uh, – to sort of act out their worst impulses, uh, that happens on the internet every day. That people yeah, who would be perfectly polite in real life suddenly be, can become these sort of self-reinforcing um, you know, cords of trolls. And and it strikes me as that the gathering of the juggalos, because everyone is sort of um, – you could be anonymous there. You don't have to be yourself. You sort of log into the gathering, the gathering of the juggalos with a screen name. Um, I don't know. I don't know if juggalos actually have sort of juggy, juggalo aliases. You know the way that uh, 
that that violent J does. But um, possibly, I think that it, it's devolved. Like different cells and operate under different rules. But. Right, but I mean, you do you do sometimes uh, wear paints, you wear masks, you certainly dress up in a in a in a costume. Uh, and I think it, something interesting happens when you dress up in a costume in that you're not – it's not like you know you just put on your own clothes and go see the Dave Matthews Band and you're still you when you're there. So you go to the giant, the gathering of the Juggalos and you're not the same person who who woke up this morning. And I feel like there is a certain um, – it's, it's, it's like the internet. You log on and you're sort of divorced from the self uh, – you know, like, like what you think of as like your regular self. And that sort of like uh, frees you from some of the constraints that you normally feel. Mm. Speaking about logging onto the internet and freeing yourself from the constraints you normally feel and no longer (laughs) feeling like yourself, I invite you all along a transformative journey. That's right. Log on to www.overthinkingit.com. Read the website where we're talking about all this stuff. Bring your totem beast with you. Yeah, exactly. Bring, you know, bring, paint your face like Mark Lee. Uh, there will be a spirit journey involved. Um, <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. send us emails. Send us voicemails at 20elog01. We want to hear from you. If you are a juggalo, I especially want to hear from you. I want to see your perspective on this because this is a complex issue, and I don't think any of us can do it justice without your input. Uh, if you're not a juggalo, you should still get in touch with us because you're probably most of our audience, and we don't want to neglect you guys either. And you know, If you're, if, if you're Tila Tequila. If you're Tila Tequila... <laughs> Have, have you know, one of your friends contact us. First of all, um, Schechner, uh, Stokes can write you some good music. It'll be good. Uh-huh. Anyway, regardless, please, after you finish listening to this podcast, sharing it with your friends, talking about these issues with your family members <laughs> in the real world, make sure that you leave behind your identity and go through the looking glass so you can visit overthinkingit.com the website that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it It probably probably doesn't deserve what (laughs) (laughs) wait does it deserve that's what we're saying that doesn't make any sense. Why would we do that? <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so sorry, guys. I've, I've been on the wrong podcast this entire time. <laughs> Did somebody not send them the memo? We need to send them the memo. For goodness sake. <laughs> I'm going to throw feces at you next time I see you, man. <laughs> <laughs>